Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Amen, amen. My goodness. Thank you, thank you. Friends, please pray with me. Let's pray together. So yes, O Lord, be thou our vision, be thou our wisdom, and you only our true word. Help us to hear, help us to see. God's people say, amen. So, Kate is a former student of mine. Some of you know that I taught for 15 years in the faculty of Columbia Seminary as a professor there, and Kate is a former student. She's now a pastor in Baltimore, and she and her teenage son, Evan, were driving home, and they stopped at the red light just before they got the green light to go on to the on-ramp to get onto the interstate. And standing right there, Outside Kate's driver's side window was a gentleman clearly homeless, had all of his belongings and a shopping cart nearby. He had a cardboard sign, had six words on it. Homeless veteran, very hungry, please help. Homeless veteran, very hungry, please help. Kate sees him, of course, this pastor, and she reaches behind her. She's trying to get her bag to get to her wallet to get a couple dollars. Evan, who's next to her, teenage son, says, Mom, it's just easier if you don't look. Mom, it's just easier if you don't look. And Kate turns to her son and says, I know, honey, but Jesus wants us to see. Teenage son rolls his eyes, heavy sigh. <sighs> I know, honey, but Jesus wants us to see. Hold that conversation, right, in your heart, and listen for the word of God. Brooke already talked about this passage from today's scripture reading as we talk about life in the wilderness. This is Mark's gospel. Chapter 8, 22 through 26. So hold that phrase, that conversation, right? Mom, it's just easier if you don't look. I know, honey, Jesus wants us to see with this passage. They, Jesus and the disciples, came to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man to him and begged Jesus to touch the blind man. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when Jesus had put saliva on the blind man's eyes and laid his hands on him, Jesus asked him, can you see anything? And the blind man looked up and said, I can see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on the eyes again, and he looked intently, and his sight was restored. And the man saw everything clearly. 
Then Jesus sent him away to his home, saying, Do not even go into the village. Do not even go into the village. So hold that story about our Lord with Kate and Evan's conversation. Mom, it's easier if you just don't look. Kate says, I know, honey, but Jesus wants us to see. So we're in this conversation about what it means to live in the wilderness in these days. Even on the verge of Lent, that Lenten season of penitence and reflection, So Jesus is with the disciples in Bethsaida. This is a town in northeastern part of Galilee. And some people, I love this phrase, some people brought a blind man to him and begged Jesus to touch him. All of that is significant. We gloss over it just thinking, oh yeah, some people. But this is a big deal because in that ancient world, part of the thinking, this is lousy theology, but part of the thinking was if an ailment came to you or a disability or an accident happened to you, it's because you were a sinful person. Either you or somebody in your family or somewhere someone somehow sinned, and so this is the consequence of your sin. So since he was blind, obviously something he did something bad or someone did something around him bad or a relative did, so he is being punished, which makes him ritually unclean. And your job as a clean person is not to associate with someone who is unclean. So the fact that he has some people, some friends, who are bringing him to the Lord to be healed and begging Jesus to touch him, that is significant. Do you have a list? I've got a list. I've got a list of persons I want to meet when I die and go to heaven, and these are faithful people who have inspired me, and I don't know who these people are. Their names don't show up in the text, but I want to meet them because they obviously are courageous. They love this man so much that they would bring him, touch him, bring him to Jesus, and ask Jesus to touch him and heal him. And then Jesus does what? He does what? He was what? You read it. You just heard it. Short-term memory right here. Come on. What did he do? Yes, he took him by the... So Jesus throws off that skewed theology, that lousy theology, and Jesus takes him by the hand. That is significant. And leads him outside the village. That's interesting. Why not do this in the midst of everybody around? But no, Jesus takes the blind man by himself, apparently leaves the friends behind, takes him outside the village. And then Jesus puts saliva on his own hands. In the ancient world, even today, we understand this, right? You who are physicians... You who are healthcare workers, you PAs, you nurses' assistants, you nurses, you know this, right? There is some healing properties in our human saliva. There are antimicrobial enzymes. There's white blood cells galore. Jesus spits into his own hands, puts it on the man's eyes, and he says, how do you look now? What do you see now? And the man says, well, I can see people, Jesus, but they're sort of like trees walking. Jesus goes, dang it, it didn't work. So he does some more, right? Some more saliva, puts it on his hands and puts it on the man's eyes now and says, okay, now, how is it going? He goes, I can see everything clearly. Jesus says, yes, I still have it, right? A lot of scholars are like, what is this double healing? This is the only double healing story in all of scripture, right? Um, One scholar said, I think the Lord's having an off day. 
the best I can come up with, I think Jesus really wants him to see. He's doing whatever he possibly can because he wants him to see. Life in the wilderness, I think Jesus wants us to really see. Mom, it's easiest if you don't even look. I know, honey, but I think Jesus wants us to see. So before Dad died several years ago, I was visiting Seattle where Dad was living and in, in the living room with him watching television. It was news at night. And I was watching the television. I'm on the couch. Dad's in his chair, and we're watching. And a news story comes up about a, a killing in South Seattle of a young Southeast Asian young man, gang-related, sad, sad story as usual, turns to his mom, and she's sobbing, and she's talking about what a good boy he was. And suddenly, bam, TV's off, right? And I'm like, I, and I look over, and Dad, and he has the remote. I said, uh, Dad, did, did you just turn off the TV? Yep. I turned off the TV. I, I know, but I, I was watching that. And he goes, I know. I don't want to see it. It's depressing. I said, Dad, it's the news. It's, it's the news. I was watching. He goes, no, I don't want to see it anymore. It's depressing. And I said, Dad, turn it back on. He said, no. Dad, you should turn it back on. I have the remote, Roger. No. I said, Dad, we have to watch the news. And he said, Why? And I said, Dad, you retired Presbyterian pastor, you, you know why. So we know how to pray, and we know what to do. We have to watch the news. He reluctantly turned back on the news. I think Jesus wants us to see. I get it. I've actually counseled a number of you. I can see you out there. You've come to me and said, oh, this is so hard in these days. We've got this pandemic. And then as Reverend Wright said, suddenly we've got an invasion of the sovereign nation of the Ukraine. We have a war in Europe that we have not had in 70 years. What is going on? And I've said to a number of you, I get it. You know, this 24-7 news cycle, just take a rest. Go ahead and take a Sabbath for a few days from CNN and Fox News and MSNBC, just this 24-7 news cycle. It can be wearying and drag us all down. I get it. But ultimately, I think Jesus wants us to see. He wanted this blind man to be able to see. For life in the wilderness, we have to be able to see it. Too many times I've been blinded by my own selfishness, my own self-centeredness. I've told some of you this story before. It was several years ago that I was privileged to be traveling with Marge Carpenter, who is a ruling elder. She was the elected moderator of the Presbyterian Church USA. This is our highest elected office. She was our leading Presbyterian in the United States, and she wanted to go to the Presbyterian Church of East Africa. This is our churches in Kenya, parts of Uganda, parts of Ethiopia. And I was asked to travel with her. I was privileged to travel with the moderator of the church. 
we were in a hotel in northern Uganda, and Marge Carpenter, the moderator, desperately wanted to get across the border into the South Sudan. Some of you know this firsthand. There's been a civil war going on in the Sudan for years and years and years. We've had a Presbyterian presence in the Sudan for almost 100 years. There are Presbyterian churches there by the hundreds. There are three seminaries that are there in the South Sudan. What was happening tragically and still going on even now in part even in the midst of what has been a tenuous peace agreement, Muslims from the north, misguided Muslim sisters and brothers have come down to the south and they would raid and burn villages and farms that were all Christians. They would kill those that they could find. And those in the south, these Christians, misguided, would go into the north and retaliate and do the same thing. That resulted in a whole series of huge, huge refugee camps emerging in the south and the north. These farmers, these villagers, had to leave their homes because it was not safe, and they would go behind the barbed wire of these protected UN-created refugee camps. One of them held a significant number of Presbyterian pastors and their congregations, and Marge wanted to see them desperately. She wanted them to know that we are still with them. Last thing I heard when I went to bed that night was that it was too dangerous for us to go. So the last thing I remember is going to sleep and we were not going to go. We were doing something else the next day, which was fine. At 3 a.m., I got a call there in my hotel room and was woken up, and it was one of our mission personnel who'd been traveling with us, and he said, Roger, we think it's safe to go today. Can you be ready in an hour? And I said, sure. And so we got dressed, all of us, and we got down. We got into four Range Rovers. I sat in one of them, the back seat, with the moderator of the church, and we drove for three hours to get to the border with Sudan, and then five hours into South Sudan to get to this large refugee camp where there are bunch of Presbyterian Sudanese there. It was now the middle of the day. We've been traveling for eight hours, and all I remember is it was so hot because these Range Rovers for which you paid with your mission dollars were not air-conditioned. That was a bad choice on your part. So we got into the camp. There's an outer area of the camp, and there's an inner area of the camp. And we got to the outer area. The pastors knew we were coming. Amazing. They had set up this wooden dais, and they put up these um, uh, coverings over, like a a canopy, a tarp over to give us shade, right? So they put us up there, and there were easily a couple thousand folks out there, Presbyterians all around us in the sun, Marge sat in the middle of the dais, and I sat next to her, and there were others there. Our missionaries were there as well. And then these pastors got up, all of these Sudanese pastors, in front of the moderator of the American church, and they began to preach and preach and preach, each of them in turn preaching their longest and their best sermon. Um, Some of them were in English. Some of them were in other languages, and there was no translation. It was so hot. We were under the canopy, remember? It was so hot, I remember just sitting there and feeling the sweat drip down my head and down the back um, underneath my shirt. It was just so... And I remember... 
understood for the first time when you see, you know, these pictures of people in parched areas of the world and flies are all around them, it's because they're looking for moisture. And so there were flies who were saying, hey, this guy, this guy has plenty of moisture. And so they were all over and I was trying to wave them away, but that exerted energy. So it made me sweat more, which meant more flies. And it was just miserable. And after a couple of hours, yes, a couple of hours of ongoing preaching, the moderator of the church nudges me and she says, Roger, what is wrong with this picture? And the first thing I said to the moderator is, I am way too hot. (laughs) And she nudged me again and said, no, what is wrong with this picture? And I said, Madam Moderator, I'm sorry, he's preaching way too long. And she said, no, Roger, look around. What is wrong with this picture? And I said, Marge, I don't know what. And she said, look at the people who've been standing there for all those hours while I had been sitting under a tarp. And they'd been standing out there in the bright, hot sun. And I said, Marge, I don't know. There are people everywhere. And she goes, Roger, look, look. And I said, Marge, what? I don't know. She said, look at the babies. And I looked, and sure enough, there were infants everywhere being held by their mothers and fathers. And I said, Marge, fine, there are babies everywhere. What? I don't know what. And she said, listen, what's going on? And I said, Marge, I hear a lot of flies because they're all over my head. I don't hear anything else. And she goes, that's right. What's wrong? And I said, Marge, I don't know what's wrong. I am so selfish. I am so blind. The moderator leaned over and said, Roger, they're not making any noise. And I looked out, and sure enough, all of these children, these women and men, all of these infants being carried by their mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers, they weren't making any noise. And I said, moderator, they're not making any noise. And she said, Roger, It's because they're too weak, they're hungry, and they're dying. That's what's wrong. We found out that we Presbyterians and Lutherans and Methodists and Roman Catholics, the UN, all of us were sending aid and food, but these refugee camps were growing so fast, we couldn't send enough food. And these mothers, were intent on giving whatever food they had to their kids so that they themselves didn't have enough nourishment to create enough milk for their infants. But they wanted their toddlers and their other kids to live. We finished that service, and then we got into our Range Rovers, and we drove into the inner compound through more fencing. There, the pastors of the churches stood around the perimeter of our room, and they welcomed us, and we sat inside, and we had water to drink, and we had bowls of porridge. And I noticed that the pastors were not eating. They were standing around the perimeter of our room, and they were smiling, they were beaming, they were so beautiful, so handsome. I was going to lift up my bowl and offer, and Marge put her hand on my arm, put it down to the table, and said, eat your food. And I said, but Marge, they're starving too. And she said, yes. And you probably have three or four days' rations for two pastors in front of you. They have sacrificed this. You will eat all of that food. And so I did. 
Then we prayed together, and they put us back into our Range Rovers, and we prepared to go from that inner compound to the outer part of the refugee camp. The window next to me was down because it was so hot. And the mission personnel who sat in the front turned to me and said, Roger, you might want to roll up your window. And I said, ah, oh, so blind, so selfish. I said, actually, it's really hot. And she said, I know, and I'm sorry, but we're going to enter into the outer part of the refugee camp, and it would be important that you roll up your window. And I said, why? And she said, Roger, because if people see that your window is down, then mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers will start to run alongside our vehicle, and they will try to throw their infants into your window. And I looked at her so blind, and I said, why? And she said, Roger, because they want them to live. Because they want them to live. It would be best if you rolled up your window. So I slowly rolled up my window. We left that inner compound, and they were lining the road, and they were waving white handkerchiefs, which in church is a sign of glory and joy. And they were waving and smiling at us. And I couldn't look. And the moderator of the church nudged me and says, look at them and smile and wave. I said, Marge, this is hard. And she said, Roger, I know, but you need to see them. And more importantly, they need to see you seeing them. You look at them and you smile and you wave until we are out of this camp. So I did that for those miles. At each person I tried to look and to see. Those images and faces are seared on my soul. Mom, it's easier if you don't look. I know, honey, but Jesus wants us to see. When we are in the wilderness, we cannot look. But Jesus wants us to see, to see each other, to see ourselves, to see that kid at school that seems to have a hard time making friends, to see that clerk who's going ever so slowly as we're trying to get checked out at Price Choppers or Hy-Vee, to see our loved ones anew. You just heard us sing this, be thou our vision, O Lord of our heart. When we're in the wilderness, Jesus wants us to see.
your job in these next days as we come upon Ash Wednesday is to open your eyes and see. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.